0: Blessed are you, Adonai, our God, King of the universe, who set us apart in order to sanctify us with his commandments and instructed us to occupy ourselves with the words of Torah. Adonai, our God, please make the words of your Torah pleasant in our mouths and in the mouths of your people, the family of Israel, so that we, our offspring and the descendants of your people, the family of Israel, all of us, may be knowers of your name and learners of your Torah for its own sake. Blessed are you, Adonai, who teaches Torah to his people, Israel. Blessed are you, I, our God, King of the universe, who chose us from all the nations of the world to give us his Torah. Blessed are you, I, giver of the Torah. Okay, we want to talk about two holiday stories and see if we can't connect the dots between the two of them. So, I'm going to take you down the road of one holiday, raise some significant questions, I believe, and then leave you hanging. We'll look at the second holiday. And raise some questions, bring them back to the first holidays questions, put it all together, and see what we get. So we begin with Pesach and Yeshua's last Seder. This is in the last week of his life, and he has uh, set his face like flint toward Jerusalem. He is heading that way. He arrives at Bethany, and we pick up in Marcos 11, verses 1-10. through Mark chapter 11. Verses 1 through 10. Now, when they drew near to Jerusalem, to Bethpage, and to Bethany, at the Mount of Olives, Yeshua sent two of his Tommy and said to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, Why are you doing that? Say, Adonai has need of it, and will send it back here immediately. And they went away and found a colt tied at a door outside in the street, and they untied it. And some of those standing there said to them, What are you doing, untying that colt? And they told them what Yeshua had said, and they let them go. And they brought the colt to Yeshua, and threw their cloaks on it, and he sat on it. And many spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches that they had cut from the fields, and those who, sent, and those who went before, and those who followed were shouting, Hoshiana, baruch haba, b'shem, b'shemo adonai. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. We well, you know this is the triumphal entry into Jerusalem, and uh, some of the church commentators uh, have said that uh, the people of Israel were actually confused and were thinking that this was Sukkot rather than Pesach. Now, if you've kept the Torah for any length of time at all, you know that's a ridiculous statement to think that uh, <coughs> Orthodox pious Jews would actually mix up their holidays. It's just, it's incomprehensible. Let's continue. Uh, Mark 11, verses 11 through 19. And he entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. And when he had looked around at everything, as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. On the following day, when they came from Bethany, he was hungry. Then you have the story of the fig tree. We'll skip over that. And they came to Jerusalem. And he entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold and those who bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. And he was teaching them and saying to them, is it not written, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations, but you've made it a den of robbers. The Kohen Gedalim and the Sophrim heard it and were seeking a way to destroy him. For they feared him, because all the crowd was astonished at his teaching, and when evening came... They went out of the city. There's some questions there I want us to look at. But uh, let's, let's first look at uh, perhaps professional Christendom's uh, response to this episode uh, in Yeshua's life and in the, uh, in the days of Jerusalem. Um, first, some, some re- rhetorical nonsense. Um, was Yeshua stopping the sale of animals for temple sacrifice because animal sacrifice was being done away after he was sacrificed? No, certainly not. In fact, we'll see later on that the, uh, the disciples, the Talmudim, were actually going in and up to the temple specifically to make sacrifice. Secondly, uh, Yeshua didn't approve of the annual half-shekel tax, but he did pay it. We, we have evidence of that in the, uh, in the scriptures. And he encouraged his Talmudim to do the same. So did he turn over the money changers' temples to protest the tax? I don't think so. Okay, so let's look at some interesting facts about this time in history and see if it raises some questions for us. First, the money changers were charging an exorbitant exchange rate. We know this historically. Yet the Talmud says that the rate was not to exceed one twenty-fourth of a shekel, and the prophet went to the temple fund for sacrifices, according to Pharisaic law. Now. Pharisees, as far as I know, are are in charge. Uh, The Sadducees are uh, performing all of the uh, temple sacrifices and keeping the temple going, but I've always heard that the Pharisees were in charge, and this is the Pharisaic law. I'm wondering how it is they're violating their own law. Here's another fact. The merchants were selling livestock and doves that had been devoted to the temple by regular people. The sale price was, according to Pharisaic law, again fixed, and the proceeds would go into the temple treasury. So, the idea would be, you've got this uh, this set of doves, and you've been uh, growing and nurturing them and feeding them, and you just have it laid on your heart that you should donate one of these doves or two of them or whatever it may be to the temple. So you give the dove to the temple. No money changes hands. This is your gift. And then the merchants actually sell the doves to folks that need them for sacrifice, especially those coming up to the festival from out of town, and the proceeds go into the temple treasury. So you've, in effect, given money to the temple to help for the running of the temple and so forth, um, but you did it with an animal or a dove. So the price was fixed so that it would, you just knew, each animal had its own value, and that's what you were going to be donating when you donated that particular animal. The merchants were just trying to get it sold. But the Mishnah tells a story of in the last days at the temple, and it indicates that doves were selling for a gold dinar. I and mean, that's, it's extraordinary. Um, dinar comes from the word denarius. Uh, it means ten, and denarius actually means the, uh, uh, the equivalent of ten asses. Uh, so if you're buying... Uh, Ten animals, one silver denarius or dinar would be what you were paying. Well, a gold dinar was the equivalent of 25 silver dinars. So you're really looking at one gold dinar being the, the price or value, the normal value, of 250 donkeys. That's, that's some exorbitant price gouging. So here's some questions that we want to consider first one that came to my mind. The Mishnah says that the money changers set up their tables starting on Adar 25. Now, if you're not familiar with the the Hebrew calendar or God's calendar, Adar is the last month of the year. It's just as spring is about to begin. And the very next month is Nisan. And of course, we know the first of Nisan is the beginning of months for you. And the 14th of Nisan, between the twilights, is when you kill the Passover or Pesach lamb. And that kicks off the week of unleavened bread. So you can see that the money changers are setting up their tables, according to uh, the Mishnah, about a week before Nisan. So, as your uh, pilgrims are coming up to Jerusalem and starting to uh, set up uh, their festival visitation homes, uh, the, the merchants are, are right on there. So, why didn't the master ever turn over their tables before this? Why do this now, in the last week of his life, instead of at any of the many times that he came up to Jerusalem in the past? Over the past 25 years or more. And we know in the scripture he certainly came up when he was 12. And his, was, his regular practice was, of course, to uh, visit the temple when he was in Jerusalem. Um, but clearly he's commanded, according to the Torah, which he know he could not, nor did he violate, He had to go up to Jerusalem for the three pilgrimage feasts, for Pesach, for Shavuot, and for Sukkot. So, why now? Why did he do it this time? Second question. We read that when he came in from Bethany, after the triumphal entry, he went to the temple. That's what he did. He walked right into the temple. He looked around And then he left. (laughs) Why did he leave? If he saw what was going on, why did he choose then to leave rather than come, you know, why didn't why did he rip everything up and, and tear the place apart then? Why did he leave and come back the next day to do it? I think these are really good questions, and I think the answers to these are going to help us put the Pieces together and connect some of the dots on some other things. So let's hold those thoughts, and we'll move on. Okay, so we're going to look at Shavuot after the resurrection. So we're in Maaseh uh, Hashlichim, chapter three, verses one through four. That's the Acts or the works of the apostles. Acts 3, 1-4 through 4. Now Petros and Yochanan were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour and a man, lame from birth was being carried whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate to ask zedaka of those entering the temple Seeing Petras and Yochanan about to go into the temple he asks to receive zedaka. Petras directed his gaze at him as did Yochanan and said look at us Verses 5 through 10. He fixes attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Petra says, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Yeshua HaMashiach HaNotzri in the name of uh, Yeshua the Messiah the Nazarene rise up and walk. He took him by the right hand and raised him up and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong and leaping up he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them walking and leaping and praising God and all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for tzedakah. This is amazing. They were filled with wonder and amazement and what had happened to him. We know this story. While they clung to Petros and Yokanong, all the people, verses 11 through 16, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the Ulam Shel Shlomo. This is the colonnade belonging to Solomon, or Solomon's colonnade or portico. Um, by the way, a colonnade is just a, a Repetitive number of columns. That's what a colonnade is. Portico is if the columns are outside and it makes like a porch. Okay, So you've got uh, doors, as it were, to get in. And when Petras saw it, he addressed the people. Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as, as though by our own power or piety we've made him walk? the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers glorified his servant Yeshua, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him, but you denied the Holy and Righteous One and asked for a murderer to be granted to you, and you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses, and his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know, and the faith that is through Yeshua has given the man this perfect health, in the presence of you all. Okay, so let's do a little analysis. Why are these guys going in the temple? Pray. They're going in to pray. When are they going in? When is that? 3 p.m. Afternoon, probably about three p.m. What prayers are they going in to? Do? They're going in for Minka prayers. Why are they going in for Minka prayers? What's happening there? There's going to be the Minka sacrifice, right? This is the Tamid offering. This is the second one of the day. And there's a command to have these guys there standing and these are going to be standing and watching to ensure that it happens appropriately. So they're going in to pray Minka prayers while they watch the Minka sacrifice. Um what's the what's the big deal in the Minka prayers? are doing the Amidah, the standing prayer. But even at that time, it
1: was a lot uh, smaller. I mean, the, the whole prayer service
0: was, was oh, no. considerably shorter. I would no, say. absolutely. Shorter, I would, I would assume, yes. But we still know that the litur- a lot of the liturgy that we do today was done dead. And certainly, there was an Amidah, because right. yeah. they were standing. Yeah, there was a short right. Exactly. Right. But, but
1: even then, I don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't think they were praying for the temple to be
2: restored,
0: Right. No, no, ac- absolutely. Well, point actually,
2: the, actual, the Shimon Ezra predates this. Right. And so, the temple to be restored was to restore this stuff. Yeah.
0: That, 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 okay. So, I mean, Ezra is the one that's really put together most of the Amidah that we have right. today.
1: I, 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 I thought I was under the impression that even those two blessings were, were, added,
0: were added later. In other words, not all 18, because there's actually 19 we do now. Right.
3: Even the preceding 18, there were there were, there were a couple combined. One, one split,
0: yeah. and. And then one was added after the master's resurrection. Yes. Yeah. All right, but there was still a standing prayer of some type. What about the lame guy? What do we know about the lame guy? He can stand and pray. In fact, he's lame from birth, which is an amazing thing. I mean, this is not just a miracle that this guy can stand up. I mean, if you've ever been to the hospital, if you've ever had anybody in the hospital for any length of time and they've had like hip surgery or something, they've got to learn to walk. They've got to get the equilibrium back. I mean, this, muscles showed up, not just the ability to stand up. It's not just bone or something. Muscles, ligaments, the whole, the whole deal is working. Um, do you recognize and realize that this guy had never entered the temple in his life if he's lame, he's quote unquote defective. He's got a defect, like crushed testicles and a lot of other things that are mentioned. This guy has never been inside that temple in his life. Except perhaps. Perhaps for his circumcision. If he happened to be born in Jerusalem. If he was born in another town, he wouldn't have been brought here. Or if he's first born in Jerusalem. Could have been. But he certainly
4: would have
0: never Exactly. So he's seeing. He- He's seeing the inside of the temple for the first time, and for the first time, not only showing up, he can actually stand and do the standing prayer. Ha <laughs> ha! You know, he's and you know, you get the different perspective now. I mean, he can look people in the eye instead of looking up their nose and all that, right? Yeah. So, do you get the irony? Right? You get the lame guy who now stands for the standing prayer. I mean, I think that's amazing. Um, you know, we. We question how much of the, of the Amidah that we have now is really there. But let's take a look at a direct quote. This is what Peter said. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Yeshua. That's how he started his prayer. I submit to you that Peter is in Amidah mode as he walks into the temple. Because what's the beginning of the Amidah? Blessed are you, Adonai, our God, and the God of our forefathers. That's what he, he just said. God of Abraham, God of Isaac, and God of Yaakov, the great, mighty and awesome God, the Supreme God, who bestows beneficial kindnesses and creates everything, who recalls the kindnesses of the patriarchs and brings a redeemer to their children's children. Well, that's what just happened. Yeshua is the Redeemer, is the redeemer that he brought. I mean
4: For his namesake. For yeah. It's, it's this name.
0: Yes. You know it is it's just too coincidental i mean it 's just too coincidental, so i don 't know how much of the Amedida I bet you they had this paragraph i mean it 's like peter 's ripe with it, ready to go, awesome stuff, awesome stuff yeah, great stuff um, let 's practice some titles of uh, Messiah Yeshua while we 're here. he uses these, and i want to I want to make sure you got your your Hebrew down so ha eved what yeah, that's the servant. That's the servant. That's good. So how about HaKadosh? The Holy One. The holy one. Good. All right. How about uh, Hatzarik? The, the, the Righteous One. Good. And then Sar Hachayim. Prince the Prince of Life. Right, or the Author of Life, he calls him at one point. And then finally Hamashiach? No, the, oh, the Messiah doesn't cut it, because in Greek they wouldn't have any idea. It's the Anointed One. That's exactly right. Yeah, it's the Anointed One. Good. I think these are words and phrases that we should know, and as um, Jonathan is uh, um, beating me into submission to learn how to sing some of these Hamidah things and, and these prayers, I am hearing these words and recognizing, wow, I know that word, and I should know it better than I do. Can
5: you look up the, the Greek word, the one word it said, the serpent? Because it said, my footnote, it
0: said, one, which one it was. I didn't look at the Greek personally, I just know that Haevit is the servant. Yeah. The
5: of yeah. That it's, um, I think it's
0: thirteen. Accordance has a pretty good module that they just came out with where if you look in a particular um, text, it will give you all of the Hebrew that's translated with those Greek words in that way and all of the Greek that's translated with those Hebrew words if you're in the old I mean it's it's like an immediate um, cross-reference deal so I think what we should do is, is take a look at what the Greek word is and then go back and you know what what is the word it's pace which would not be the curly Q things they yeah um I, I would imagine that comes from the same root as uh, uh, Paidean or Pidean, um the one who guy who stays with the kid until he grows up and learns and that kind of thing he's a uh, Pedagog. yeah, pedagogue it may have the same uh, type of root, I don't know now see now you got to do it the hard way because you've got to do it manually, Right? <laughs> Okay, yeah, we All right, Suffering Messiah. Um, I, I just, while we're, we're looking at titles, if I asked you to tell me about the Suffering Servant or the Suffering Messiah, what passage would you bring me to? you would bring me to Yeshayahu 53. Verses 4 and 5. Surely he has borne our griefs, carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. That would be the first one I would choose as well. What's the second one? Okay. Um, I think you've got to start to go through some parallelism there and say he, you know, the kind of thing. But yeah, that's a good one. I mean,
4: the one that
0: Okay, I mean, you got from Genesis 37 to the end of the book. I mean, this is the greatest parallel and of course, the sages saw that and came up with Messiah Ben-Joseph. Excellent. Yeah, that's the one I was thinking. Zechariah 12.10, I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Yerushalayim a spirit of grace and pleas for mercy, so that when they look on me, on whom they have pierced, I shall mourn for him as one mourns for an only child and weep bitterly over him as one weeps for a firstborn. I think that one speaks of Both uh, the suffering that we read in in Isaiah, but at the same time, the reaction as they recognize, this is the one that suffered on our behalf. This is the one that suffered because of us. This is the one who suffered because of what we did. Um, The third one is a takeoff on this. this, this, There's a very similar phrase in the Nevi'im to this verse that I didn't notice until this week. Do you know where it is? No, not in Psalms, although Psalms talks about it a little bit. No, it's Amos uh, 8.10. Amos 8.10. I will turn your feast into mourning, all your songs into lamentation. I'll bring sackcloth on every waist, and baldness on every head. I know. Welcome to the club, guys. Um, I will make it like the mourning for an only son, and the end of it will be like a bitter day. So you can see the parallels here. It's truly amazing. It really is. So I just think that we should be aware of these passages, especially when we're talking to someone who's grown up not understanding or believing that Yeshua could in fact be the uh, Messiah. Well, let's keep reading in, uh, in the book of Acts. We, uh, we're at the back end of chapter 3 and now we, we hit the, the beginning of chapter 4 because what happens here, I think, is, is critical. Verses 1 through 6. As they were speaking to the people, this is again Peter and John, the priests and the captain of the temple and the tzatukim, Who are the Tzadukim? They're the Sadducees. They came upon them, greatly annoyed, because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Yeshua the resurrection from the dead. They arrested them and put them in custody until the next day. Hmm. For it was already evening, but many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. Just as a, a quick math thing, Do you think 5,000 people put their faith and trust in Yeshua that day, or 2,000? Why would I say 2,000 if the text says 5? Because we had 3,000 from Shavuot, and this is a couple days after Shavuot, and now the number is about 5,000. So I would say we've got a 2,000 delta. Still pretty large. And uh, a lot of folks that are hearing Peter and John speak, I think this passage should be brought up when we're talking to someone who's been mistakenly taught that the upper room is where everything happened and 3,000 people happen to fit into this tiny little upper room. You know, Well, gosh, maybe it's the same kind of thing here because now we have a clear reference. In the earlier one, we talk about the upper room, and now we've got a completely different scenario that says... And it happened that, and it just goes on as if, I mean, if you're not catching the break, you'd think they were still in the upper room uh, when, in fact, uh, the scripture goes out of its way time and time again to say that they were in and about the temple all the time. So here we've got it clear. And uh, whether you've got 5,000 or just 2,000, you've still got a good deal. Of course, it's hard for you that there's a would between the ones that were annoyed. Why would they be greatly annoyed, Greg? They don't believe in the resurrection, and the key right here. I do not believe is proclaiming Yeshua. The focus in this is not that they're proclaiming Yeshua; that they are proclaiming in Yeshua the resurrection from the dead. That would get them greatly annoyed. Exactly right. You bet. Was that
5: because they they only believed that the Messiah was the one that would? I, well, maybe not speaking specifically of the Sadducees, sad but I was just thinking, I was just reading in John again, and I just wasn't sure there, was it, were they mad and condemning Yeshua because that he was claiming that he was going to resurrect from the dead uh, in addition to the whole being God thing?
0: Um, tied into- I, I think we've got some good reasons why Yeshua was upset with them and some other reasons why they were upset with him. But I think some of them will come out here in a few slides, so let's hold that for a second. On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Yerushalayim with Canaan ben Set, the Kohen Gadol, and Caiapha ben Yosef, and Yochanan and Alexandras, and all who were of the family of the Kohen Gadol. Because we know it was just this corrupt family deal. Um, 66 years, um, um, Canaan or Annas Controlled this with his. Kaifa uh, is his son-in-law, and he's got you know these two guys are his sons. I mean, it's, it's it's amazing. So why the crowd go wild with Peter and John? What what was what was so exciting? What was unique? Not just any lame man was walking.
2: That guy, we recognize him. We see him every
0: single. Same- we see this guy, and they knew it was not only the same guy they saw at the gate. He's been that way since birth. Yeah, yeah. It's like somebody who's been blind from birth. You saw the same kind of wild reaction from the crowds when Yeshua heals a guy and gives him sight who'd been blind since birth. So, what's up with the next day? Give me the timing here. They, they arrest him and put him in jail and they don't try him until the next day.
4: Because you're not allowed.
0: You bet. And even more specifically, the Talmud says that the Sanhedrin was in session between the Tamid offerings. They were there for the Tamid offering at nine, and went into session in the room or the uh, the hewn stone thing, and they were there, the chamber of the hewn stones, yeah, until the Tamid offering at three o'clock. So if it's not between nine and three they're not in session. When did the guys show up with the lame guy? Right at three. They, sh- they, they were going there for, for the three o'clock prayers. Now, it's already evening. So it's been a couple hours. Peter's had some time to work this crowd and to share about Messiah Yeshua. Which is also, when you look at the, uh, the
4: events in the Passion, how he's arrested at night yeah, it's taken for the high priest and everybody in the middle
0: of the night. Got a problem? Big problem. Big problem. You bet. And um, I guess they're being accused
1: of teaching the people and proclaiming the death and resurrection of Yeshua. Uh, and so I guess so. That's what they're being accused of. And where and going, bringing it back to the Torah or even to the time of what? Where would that classify as actual offense?
0: Well, I think we see a little later that there really is no offense, because they're not charged formally with anything. They're warned to keep their mouths shut and they're let, they're let go. So to your point, I don't, I don't think it's a formal deal. They just want to you know get rid of habeas corpus and hold these guys for a minute and chat with them. Maybe make them an offer they can't refuse. You never know. I see <laughs> What's the two problems that the chief, chief priests have? Resurrection. Yeah. Resurrection? Yeah, they're on their turf. Yeah. It's like one thing: if
1: you want to have, you know, congregate outside but in the temple, teaching the people,
0: this is where. I I I think that's big, yeah. right? They they've just said on their turf, th- these high priests killed the Messiah. This is right. unbelievable. And if if you're questioning, if you're thinking it's just tradition that the Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection from the dead, Luke twenty verse twenty seven says it very clearly. Yes, sir? To uh, highlight something that I noticed, especially when we were discussing discussing this se- uh,
3: section, and that is the uh, similarities between the two Shavuots When Moshe received the Torah mm. on Sinai, and then uh, shavuot when uh, Yochanan spoke with the people. Yeah. Now there, the parallel is that there's still that rejection of the Torah because you have the written Torah that Moshe received, and then you have Yeshua. Who
0: is a living I, would, uh, I would argue that on the mountain, the people said all that God says we will do. I believe they received that. I believe in this Shavuot, the vast majority of them did in fact receive Yeshua as the Messiah. We just went through, I mean it's 5,000 men, forget the women, right? I think it's a select group that rejected him. And had him crucified, and I think I've got a reason for that so coming
3: it's up. More so, the acceptance.
0: Absolutely, I think so. I think yeah. so. Along with, along with you know, the giving of the Torah in both cases, the written, the living, the giving of the Spirit, the tongues of fire. I mean, there's just such a great many parallels. It's I was, extraordinary. What
3: I was looking at in terms of when Moshe came down and he saw the small, people wholly given over yeah. to idolatry, and mm-hmm. then what Kepha says to the people about rejecting Yeshua. Yeah. I was seeing that. That's good. Right.
4: Yeah, I mean, you're right. Yeah well, and I think you know, the, the ones that rejected him, particularly the ones that you know, uh, tried him and, and had him killed uh, are are certainly they're not omniscient and they're for the most part not Pharisees either. they are the
3: temple leadership most of whom were Sadducees Absolutely.
4: and um,
0: I hope to show that right uh, here.
4: And so it was, it was and, and the reason they would want to kill him
5: is not just because of the theological differences, but the real issue
4: was he was a threat to their
2: position as power. And he accused them of murder. Right. right. Or, well, the disciples there well, accused right. them of murder. Yeah. But, but in but, terms of Yeshua, though, they perceived
4: Yeshua who had great support right. from the common people. Right, uh, and, and, and even from, as, as we know, many, many Pharisees as well. Yeah, I, and
0: he was, he was he, he took them on. He took them to task big time. Yes. I think if you just take the theology out of it, yeah. and even if he wasn't the real, true, ultimate re- Messiah, even if he wasn't, if the people swelled and put him in charge, and he's truly a son of David, now he's going to sit on the throne and they won't be able to do what they've been doing. It's not going to work. We, this guy, we can't let this guy
3: do it. It's a threat a,
0: to their lifestyle. The lifestyle thing. Yeah. To
3: your point, Greg, uh, the Sadducees were primarily the with Rome
0: because Rome was the one that was putting them in there. That's exactly right. Yeah, this you know lifestyle of the rich and famous is you know, started here. You know? <laughs> All right, so I want to bring these stories together. We can, we can either go 20 minutes long or we can take a break. Go long? Good. Let's do it. All right. So I just want to make sure we're all on the same sheet of music. The, the Pesach that we looked at at the beginning was seven weeks before the Shavuot we're looking at just now. I mean, this is the same year. Does everybody get that? This is, this is what we just went through, right? We had Pesach right here in this in River City, right? And we counted seven sevens. And the next day, what, what does everybody do? You go to Greg's house, right? That, I mean, that's the deal. We came here, we prayed, and it's a few days later. We're going up for the hour of prayer. It's the same time frame. So let's start digging here. Why were they on trial? What exactly was the offense? We talked about it. It's, this is the whole idea of teaching about the resurrection in front of people that don't want to hear it and calling people murderers on their own turf. If they would
1: have been, um, uh, I guess, seen as possibly supporting a false messiah, then, and I can't remember off the top of my head, but I think in the Talmud it says uh, the amount of judges necessary to condemn someone for that type of capital punishment would, would be the full deal. you got to
0: have the full deal. Really sure. Yeah, so that would be 71.
1: Right. But, um, so that, that could be another factor why they actually waited until.
0: Stay. Well, it could have been, um, but I, th- I think you're being very gracious and assuming that they want to do things on the up and up. And it seems that that may not be the case anyway, right? Okay. Tell me about the Sanhedrin. Just uh what we looked at so far, tell me about the Sanhedrin. You you mentioned a little bit there. We know they're we know we got a bunch of Sadducees. They're divided. They seem to be divided. So. We mentioned about the uh, Pharisaic law on some of these things, but it doesn't appear that the Pharisaic law is in practice here. I'm wondering about that. Could be, could be. I think, I think the Pharisees are being obviously uh, later on when we we'll see God's response. Yeah. Is that they're being extremely diplomatic? In other words, they they may have a they may have a legal. Uh,
2: Opportunity to oppose the council uh, or the rest of the council. Yes. But they don't seem to be taking it. But they are trying to achieve the same uh, goal without being confrontational. Yes. And Gabriel is, is apparently being diplomatic, which leads me to believe that they don't have the power in the Sanhedrin that they're either their numbers or their position because they have Nasi. Right would permit that, but right. it doesn't seem like they're the exercise. I think
0: we've got a reason for that coming out here, because that's exactly right. I mean, this is sake law, and this is the ones we looked at before, right? If, if we've got this exchange rate that's supposed to be fixed, and the profits are supposed to go in, the Talmud makes it clear that the profit didn't seem to be going in, it was going into somebody's pockets. Sale price of the... Uh, Animals devoted for the temple, same kind of deal. According to Pharisaic law, it should have been going there. So why aren't they arguing? Why aren't they stepping up? Why aren't they enforcing their own laws? Why aren't they being a little bit more pushy? And maybe we've got some stuff here. The Perushim, that's the Pharisees taught, uh, don't carry anything on the Temple Mount or use the Temple Mount as a shortcut. You can read this in Josephus as well. All right. That's uh, out of the Mishnah in Barakot 9.5. And yet, we've got Yeshua not only getting the, the merchants out, not only turning over the money tables, but it specifically says he was stopping them from carrying anything through the Temple Mount. So, here we've got yet another thing that the Purushim taught that's not being done. Yes, sir? Is it possible um,
3: if there were some Purushim the Sanhedrin that were followers of Yeshua.
0: We know there was. Yeah. I know two for sure. They buried him.
3: And also uh,
0: Naqtimon. Uh, and, I, man, I, I don't think we have clear evidence about Gamaliel, but gosh, it seems pretty pretty close. You bet. You do. But But again, it doesn't answer our questions, right? You know, we've got some stuff here. Here's another one. The Sanhedrin adjudicates capital, capital cases from the Chamber of Hewn Stone in the Temple, as required by the Torah. In Devarim seventeen eight, it says they got to be in the Temple to do one of uh, you know any kind of capital case stuff. Hmm. But the Talmud says in Babli Avodah Zarah eight b, it says that forty years before the destruction of the Temple, when is that? This is now. This is what we're talking about. The Sanhedrin exiled themselves from the Temple. They they no longer met on the Temple Mount, but to Chanute. Now, I, I looked that up, and varying opinions, but it appears to be a marketplace. It could be the marketplace that was associated with the royal stoa in the Temple of the Gentiles, I mean, the Court of the Gentiles. Like, uh, I think it was Greg was talking about, you know, you've got those layers of um, sanctity, and there was a spot there where Um, you could buy or sell, and stuff like that. Um, Others have said that Annas, the high priest, actually had a marketplace on the Mount of Olives, and that the Sanhedrin moved there. Now, this particular uh, Talmudic entry says that these guys exiled themselves because there were so many capital crimes that year that they just got tired of doing it, and they didn't want to do any more capital cases. So they took themselves off the Temple Mount, so they could no longer do the capital cases. I think that would, if that's true, that would be the first time I've ever read in all of history where a ruling body actually took power away from itself. It seems so unlikely, especially when you read uh, in Bavli Rosh Hashanah 31a, Bavli Shabbat 15a, and Sanhedrin 41a. It doesn't say that they exiled themselves. It gives the impression that maybe there was a Sadducean request of Rome that Rome tell them they needed to move out and could no longer do these uh, capital cases.
3: That makes sense that it was part of this whole Sadducean roman
0: Yeah! Now, if that's the case, think about this. The Sadducees move the Sanhedrin, or get it moved, off the Temple Mount. Where are the Pharisees going to be during the day then? Not on the Temple Mount. Not enforcing the rules that they put in place. Not really being involved as much in Temple practice. And you've now got capital cases going right to Rome. Maybe what we're reading about here happened, according to the Talmud, in that year. And it would explain Why the master never took action on this before, because it was never done before. Um, This is is the uh, New American Standard. Yep. Mark 15,
4: 1. Early in the morning, the chief priest with the elders and scribes and the whole council immediately held a consultation and, binding Yeshua. Led him away, delivering him to Pilate. So my question is: the Chief priests, the elders, the scribes, and the whole council—is uh, that referring to the whole Sanhedrin?
0: I personally don't believe so. After looking at all that was going on here, that we know the Pharisees would have been against. But in this, in both of these passages, in in the one with Yeshua on Pesach, when he's cleansing the temple, and in Peter and John showing up later for the hour of prayer, in the, either one, there's absolutely no mention of the Pharisees. But there's an overwhelming disregard for their practice. So I'm really questioning... Here's
2: the Pharisees' lead. Yeah. They don't want anything
0: to do it. And I can't
2: remember where
0: that is. Well, I know it's in the movie. I just don't know if it's in the Bible. you that know?
2: phrase and I think
0: actually Stern actually does translate that word council as Sanhedrin. Sunday. Yeah, uh, but we've got Sanhedrin mentioned here, and there doesn't appear to be Pharisees. Right. And if there is, they they are amazingly silent. So uh, let's uh, let's keep going and let's see what we get here. I'll do a, a quick summary. If this is true, if if we can rely on what the Talmud says about the timing, then it is. Evident, then, that the Zadokim pushed the Prushim off the Temple Mount and effectively took over the Sanhedrin to a large degree. That the Zadokim allowed the merchants to set up shop on the Temple Mount in the royal stoa in the court of the Gentiles. So now you've got merchants on the Temple Mount buying and selling for the first time. That the Zadokim allowed people to carry objects through the Temple Mount and allowed the Temple Mount to become a shortcut All of these, the Purushim were totally against. And then finally, I think there's evidence that they delayed the beginning of Nisan by a day to make Pesach fall on Shabbat instead of on Friday. So that the counting that we've all been wondering about, when do we start counting? So the counting would be the same for both the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And they guaranteed it. Because if they're in charge of the Sanhedrin now, the Talmud speaks of false witnesses that were brought up in this year in order to sanctify the moon early, or actually one day late, and cause their counting method to work. It just happens to make both of them come together. So that the Shavuot that we had, where the Spirit was poured out, actually had everybody together. That's amazing. Because that would actually mean that, and, and what you read is uh, that there was strict division in the city. That there were some who agreed that the, the Sadducees, Sanhedrin, they've got the ability to call it when they call it, And they stuck with them. There were others that knew they were false witnesses. They had seen the moon themselves. They knew that it was actually a day earlier and that it was all a sham. And there was a split. This would explain why you've got John pretty much a day off from the rest of the Synoptic Gospels. Yeah. So he's saying it's a day earlier. And the Master seems to be following that and has his Seder a day before, evidently, everybody else. This is the first time I've seen an example or, or some explanation for how that could be. He's actually following the rule. Bob Sanhedrin, 43a. On the eve of Passover and the Sabbath eve, they hung the Nazarene. None was found and nothing in his defense was brought forward and they hung him on the eve of Passover. That's pretty interesting. They, it means they were both Friday evening. Do we believe that they moved today? I'm, I'm just pulling stuff from the Talmud. Well, I'm just pulling stuff from... It wouldn't,
2: it wouldn't necessarily be Friday. That doesn't happen right.
0: Well, they've got... It, it's a Yom Tov. So, um, one reading of, of Sanhedrin 43a says it was the eve of Passover and the Sabbath Eve is not in there. And there's another variant that says it was both the eve of Passover and Sabbath Eve. Well, that would... Why would you have a variant that says it like that? Unless there was some kind of mix-up or questioning about the calendar. So, I'm not in the timing right now. I'm just questioning, is it possible that the Sadducees... Played hooby-scooby here. Yeah. Having found a way to get rid of those pesky prushim. Um, We've got some scripture fulfilled here, and I think that when you bring it into account with what this, with potentially what the Sadducees may have done, Jeremiah 6:13, for from the least to the greatest of them, everyone is greedy for unjust gain, and from prophet to priest, everyone deals falsely. Well, the priests are who we're talking about. Eka 4.13, as Lamentations. This was for the sins of her prophets and the iniquities of her priests, who shed in the midst of her the blood of the righteous. Now that's a cool deal, and you could play that out. Because or Ezekiel 22.26, Her priests have done violence to my Torah, have profaned my holy things. They have made no distinction between the holy and the common, neither have they taught the difference between the unclean and the clean, and they have disregarded my Sabbath so that I am profaned among them which would be all inclusive of everything that they supposedly did in this case. Zephaniah 3, four: her prophets are fickle, treacherous men, her priests profane what is holy. They do violence to the Torah. John 7, 2.17, as Talmudim remembered, it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. These are all come to pass in, in this year. Malachi 3, one, Behold I send my messenger and he will prepare the way before me and Hashem or Yeshua whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight behold he is coming says Adonai Tzebaot He did that. Yeshua did a Midrash on these guys. He takes two verses one from Yeshayahu, or Isaiah 56, 7, for my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. And the other one out of Jeremiah, or Yirmiyahu seven eleven. yes, uh, has this house, which is called by my name, become a den of robbers in your eyes? Behold, myself have seen it, declares Adonai. So he takes two f- verses that have the same wording in them, pulls them together, and by using the court of the Gentiles, the Sadduceean priests have become these very robbers that he's talking about. He used these two. How, how could the temple be a den of robbers? It's everything that you just heard about, the merchants charging so much more, and the uh, uh, high costs and everything.
4: Not only were they elevating the, the, the prices, gouging the people,
0: yeah. and advantage of it, but, uh, but I don't think all of the proceeds were making it to the temple treasury. Exactly right. So you know, every which way from Sunday, so to speak. <laughs> uh, there's, there's <laughs> they got a lot of explaining to do, Lucy. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely, and we we know that from history. Jeremiah 7:12 through 14. I never read this Jeremiah verse. In, in this way it just never hit me like this maybe, maybe it did you and I've just been behind in the times listen to this go now to my place that was in Shiloh where I made my name dwell at first and see what I did to it because of the evil of my people Yisra'el The church loves this, right? And now, because you've done all these things, declares Adonai, and when I spoke to you persistently, you did not listen. And when I called you, you did not answer. Are you thinking of Yeshua being over Jerusalem and saying, uh, you know, I I would have gathered you. Time and time again, I call for you, right? right? Therefore, I will do to the house that is called by my name, and in which you trust, and the place I gave to you and to your fathers, as I did to Shiloh. Rambam says that if Messiah actually destroyed the temple, it'll be Messiah that raises it up again. We've got Gen Y, Gen X. This is Gen Evil, according to Yeshua in Luke 11:29. 29. Um, these are all from the, from the Talmud. I thought uh, it would be interesting to look uh, in Bavli Shabbat 33a because of the crime of bloodshed. The temple was destroyed and the Shekinah departed from Israel. Hmm. Yoma nine B. Why was the second temple destroyed at a time when people occupied themselves with the study of Torah, the observance of the commandments, and the practice of charity? Because baseless hatred prevailed within them. Now, after studying all this, I, I want to rewrite that verse and say, why was the second temple destroyed at a time when I read about these wonderful things that the Pharisees were doing? Whether they were over the top on some things or not, well, because the Sadducees were in there with this baseless hatred. I mean, why did they hate him? Because their lifestyle was going to be destroyed Bavli um, Khagaga 13A, Jerusalem was not destroyed until honest men ceased therein. Babli Shabbat 119B, Jerusalem was destroyed only because men of faith ceased therein. You know, it's it's an amazing uh, take on it. You know, one thing that
3: I've been noticing as we've been talking about this is it really seems especially within the professional Christian that the almost they take the Sadducees and the Pharisees to be synonymous.
0: Oh yeah, they lump them all together. Sure They're that, the rulers. Right. You bet.
3: I'm sure that they could tell you, you no, know, I believe they were separate sects. Yeah. But I mean, when they talk about, you know, you know, speaking against Jesus or yeah. it, they always lump them together.
0: Yeah, and I I think sadly, um, the Pharisees normally take the brunt of that because everybody can remember the name Pharisee. I mean, it's it's, a, it's synonymous with the word hypocrite in our own language, right? Most yeah, ma- most people can't remember the Sadducees other than they're sad, you see, because they don't believe in the resurrection. But you know, they they kind of push them off, and it's the Pharisees. But I think, as we've talked about here before, it's like it's like family getting together and arguing, right? I really think that he took on the Pharisees because he cared about it. But he said some very kind words about the Pharisees, including the fact that they were righteous. Um, he didn't, as I recall, ever say that about the Sadducees. That's exactly right, yeah. I mean, there's something up there. All right, so uh, Zechariah 14.21. This is an interesting deal. There will be no longer be a Canaanite in the house of Adonai Tsevaot in that day. This is in the days of Messiah, I'm assuming. Why single out the Canaanites? They don't even exist. Why, why would you do that? Um, Canaanite, does that equal Gentile? Well, we can't, right? I mean, because that would violate others, because even the Lord said it, you know, my house would be a house of prayer for all nations. That means for Gentiles. Um, Targum Yonatan, and most of the Jewish translations translate Kanaani from this Canaanite word, as merchant. Well, now, he's literally fulfilling Zechariah 14.21 by kicking the merchants out. That's amazing to me. So much stuff coming together. So, in summary, the same Sanhedrin corrupted the calendar, profaned the temple, broke the Sabbath, denied the resurrection, had Yeshua crucified, the Talmudim arrested, caused the temple destruction, and eventually the exile of God's people. This is the same Sanhedrin that convicted Yeshua. It didn't change in seven weeks. It didn't change in 50 days. This same Sanhedrin we're talking about right here had to be in place at the beginning of Nisan. Yeah. Wait, wait, wait,
4: wait. Wait, yeah. Is, is this the same Sanhedrin that, uh, that Yosef and Barimapha and Yes. Yes. yes.
0: Okay. Yeah. Not, not him on
4: February. Yeah. Uh, so it, so we, we, so we have there to... Were, there, were there were righteous men on the council, but they're obviously
0: in my evidently so much a minority at this point like, like Rick was saying they either couldn't speak up or had to be amazingly diplomatic but they seem to have lost all power and control over the happenings on the Temple Mount because we know what their rulings were and we know what they were evidently most of Yeshua's life. Add to
2: that division within that rank between House of Shammai and House of Hillel. Yeah realizing the House of Shammai has it upper hand as well.
0: Yeah.
2: <laughs> and the House of Shemai is in not in cahoots, but is
0: certainly uh, more... Uh, uh, has more affinity to Rome?
2: More No, more affinity to the Sadducees. Oh, yeah. Or, or, the, or the chief priests. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you can see where men like Gamaliel and Yosef, uh, uh,
0: Knocked, knocked him out. Actually, we're, were in, a, in a minority of a minority. Yeah. So, I mean, they're
2: pretty, I mean, they're the righteous ones. You bet. And they're, they're pretty incapable of, of shutting it down.
0: Well, if you got 71 guys, and we just named three, maybe you got 10. <laughs> 10 out of 71 is, is not is not going to do a lot. So.
2: really
3: appears to be like, a, uh, like the one to kind of maintain that tension of offices.
0: Well, he actually actually became the head of it, you know, um, after uh, you finished with the zoo goat. Um, Here's something else to think about. If if what we're saying is true, and I don't know if it is, but it seems to fit. But if this is true, and in this year, this all came to pass, and these guys kind of finally got their way and probably lined their pockets pretty well in that year, then I think it's all a setup. Yeshua got there, walked into the temple, looked around, and saw what they did since the last time he was there, which might have been Hanukkah at the end of the last year, right? Here it is, the spring. He's finally come up, he's done with the galley, and here he is. He's come up, he's come up for a purpose, no question. But I think he walked in there, saw what they did, and thought, you know what? People are pretty happy to see me. I need a different setting,
5: but I know what I'm going to do
0: now. And he leaves. Doesn't do a thing. Comes back the next morning knowing what he's going to do. And what did he do? He riled them up the best way he could to guarantee they'd kill him. Guys, you can't have these money changers here. And what are you doing? You can't carry that. Put that down. Out with the money changers, out with the merchants, out with the livestock, out with people carrying stuff. I'm sure they set it all right back up as soon as he walked off the Temple Mount. It probably had no lasting effect except in the hearts and minds of those Sadducees.
3: And to your point, Brother Joseph, uh, it brings into account with what Yeshua told them. tear down this temple and in three days I will rebuild it.
4: Yeah. Quotes from, you
0: know, when he quotes from Yeshiyahu and, and Yirmiyahu, yeah. He's tying those two together.
4: But this is an interesting thought. Did the Pharise- did I mean, not the Pharisees, did the, the Sadducees get that? Because aren't they not? They, they only have the Torah.
0: Right. They don't. They don't, the they don't do the Nevi'im. Right
4: so yeah. it's, 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 you know, Oh, that's good. You know, been quoting all these prophecies from the Nahum, and they just it goes right past yeah. them. They don't. They a don't study it. Don't believe it. You know. Yeah. They probably know exactly where he's
2: quoted from. Oh, come on. That's like Book of Mormon.
0: Yeah, we don't read that stuff. We, we don't need no. We don't need yeah. no badges. Which is, which is cool
5: because then whoever did acknowledge those passages of scripture and those prophets would have followed him. So it was almost like in. in an action that would separate you bet. big time to bring the sword Yeah, not
0: peace. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think when he went in and realized what his plan would be and came back, now the people are not cheering the fact that um, salvation has come. But He's messing with their plan. Yeah, they're, yeah, he walks in and does the deal and I really think if if you can see it in your mind's eye, he is ballistic. And he is one of those prophets you read about, you know, and, and Samson with the jawbone thing. And I mean, he is going at it. And it, it says the temple guards came out and the Sadducees came out, but they couldn't stop him. So, know uh, if you just picture it now, like Greg is saying, you know, the crowd is just kind of coming back against the walls. And I'm sure... You've got Pharisees who aren't sitting in the chamber of hewn stone because they're not allowed to meet there anymore and they're cheering him on and and applauding. And you got people who love the Torah and love God and are applauding and saying, Go! Yes! Absolutely! And you could just see the Sadducees in a line with the guards red-faced yeah. and just ticked off that they can't do anything. And, and
1: I was about to make that point is, when, when we put ourselves back in the time, very seldom is even today a Rebbe by himself. Mm-hmm. He's got his talmudy with him. Mm-hmm. He's got a crowd. I think that's one reason why he he was reticent the first time. You know, he, he comes up and eyes all, all eyes are on. Him. He hasn't been here for a while. Right, even, right. He's got he, he's doing that for.
0: We just did the we just did the palm branches and all of that.
1: He has clapped. Everyone's anticipating what his next move is going to be. Yeah. And uh, and I, 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 I picture it much more as a. Um, as the, probably the reason why they couldn't stop him is because it has got a whole crowd of people who are, you know, blocking even, you know, the like, way. Splints, you know?
4: That's
0: right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Oh, Let's keep it a fair fight, guys. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, <laughs> be- that's right. That's right. You
4: know, I know we've talked about this before, but but also the fact that this takes place three or two, I guess, depending on which day. You know, yeah. So yeah. Sort of home, right. Uh, two to three days before Pesach. Yes. Which is just that beautiful picture of him cleaning his house absolutely yes out of his house prior to uh, the feast
0: yeah I mean, it's... no questions and and if he you know in his humanity how much did he know in his divinity did he know it all i, I don't know i i i can't go there because it makes my brain hurt but I, but he had set his face like flint to go to jerusalem He was going to go. He's on a mission, and he's on a mission to die. He knew that. He's already told people. But how's it going to come out? How's it going to play? And, yeah, I think he played it beautifully. Comes in. He's being treated like a king. Walks into the temple. Sees what they've done. Backs away. Next opportunity is the next morning. Now, remember, as you pointed out, if he's cleansing the... uh, Cleansing the house, symbolically, as it were, for the Pesach and getting rid of the leaven. We need to remember that that kicked off almost three days where he's teaching daily in the temple. I mean, Solomon's Portico or Ulam Shel Shlomo. Yeah, yeah. They and they're this is, this is, this sparring.
2: Taken away from
0: us. Over and over and over again.
4: Yeah, you have you know, Sadducees and Pharisees. Are engaging him in question, you know, asking him questions, you bet. questioning him. Some with malintent, some just out of genuine, you know, but he's being inspected.
0: You bet he is, just like that Passover lamb. And I really think that um, it would it would be wise for us to read through the gospel accounts again and look for specific mentions of the Pharisees of the Prushim in legal context in the context of the Sanhedrin, were they ruling? That is good.
2: It's only in one. It's in John. And it's up there at the beginning when they bring it from the garden and then they're not mentioned back But in the other accounts, they're not mentioned
0: that. And when they bring it from the garden, it's the middle of the night. So if I were on that council and you woke me up and said, we got to meet, I would have showed up and said, I don't know what you're doing, but I can't be a part of this. You were next. I
5: was just going to add that it was such it's interesting to see their their eventual accusation that they bring against Yeshua, especially after all these things that would have contributed to them getting really mad at him. Yeah. But they don't really go near any of the specifics, and they try to come up with some general like, "Well, he said he was God," and, and he, you know, even yeah, even the, the guys that just like, well, "I don't see any fault in him." I mean, this is this is just silly. But they were trying to hide a lot of their well, sure,
0: yeah. You know, and, and what are they going to say? Well, we. We had some serious money grubbing going on and he knocked over the tables and threw those guys out. I mean, we can't let him get away with that. Well okay well wait a minute. Here, you know
5: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, the irony of course is why don't you take care of this and they're like, Well our law
0: Yeah, yeah, we can't do that. Especially especially if they're the ones that orchestrated not being able to in order to get the prushim out of uh, a more Temple Mount central location. Yes, sir.
3: You know, it makes me wonder, um, since he had those three days after this event to teach, if maybe the Sadducees brought that question about tribute to him after this event, thinking, w- well,
0: w- he certainly
3: has himself. Let's try to catch him with this.
0: Yeah, it was after this event. Okay. The very first thing he did that week was walk in, Look around and leave. The second thing he did was walk in and kick butt. Mm-hmm. And I think he took names, actually.
3: The were cheering in droves.
0: I think they were. I think they were. But I, I, think, that, uh, I think the key here is, uh, is to look at, at the, the Talmud and see some of the references and the timing. And I had never noticed before that they had moved where the Sanhedrin had met.
4: Why would we want to study the Talmud? That's just all with
0: the rabbis. Well, you know, Greg, I want to warn you, man. If you studied the Talmud, you could go blind. <laughs> yeah, it's as simple as that. Yeah. But, uh, the radiant yeah. white pages. <laughs> the, that's right. <laughs> I, I am, uh, even if we don't uh, see anything in it but some, some historical context, you really have to look and say, gosh, the timing... It, it, it makes me go back to the beginning of the Gospels and remember Paul's writings, I think, in, in Galatians where he says, in the fullness of time, God sent forth his Son. Well, God's a genius. <laughs> what can you say, right? This also brings to light later on in Acts,
2: in Acts chapter 6, where the accusation
5: against Peter and the excuse Stephen, me, against Stephen, Stephen and yeah. other apostles was that they spoke
2: against this house mm. and we know that to be a false accusation however in light of what Yeshua did and, and, and if the uh, ruling authority saw that was a threat against the, the, the house their system yeah, yeah. Uh, that would be a that, in their mind that's not a false accusation that's a true accusation mm-hmm. I mean, after, they're trying to mess with the way they think we do things here exactly
0: yeah. Um, that, would you uh, would you also say that uh, it could have been an underlying theme in Paul's uh, argument as well, where he says, you know, I, I really don't know what's going on. Uh, you know, I've, I've kept the Torah. I've kept all the traditions of our people. I'm a good egg. It's false accusations. But what they were saying about Paul was that he was changing the traditions, and he was not into what was being done.
2: It it doesn't necessarily, it it gives you a glimpse as to the big question that we have about Paul is, how could Paul have aligned himself with the chief priests, plural, which is against the Torah? Yes. Uh, As a
0: Pharisee, too. As a
2: Pharisee, how could he have aligned himself with them if, however, the, the, the construct is, no, no, this was an attack upon the temple system. Right. And the, and the Sadducees are... are which is our faith. the system, you know, like as you know, whatever it is, good or bad, we're doing our best. Yeah. This is the way we have to deal with it. And Paul says, hey, these these new followers of Yeshua are against the system. Yeah. When in fact they're not against the system, they're against the system that's been corrupted.
0: Exactly. Precisely correct. And that's why I'm shocked to see all of those references about corrupt priesthood, which I, I just had no idea it was so dramatically corrupt. It's extraordinary. Good. Final comments. I was
3: just uh, going to say the timing of it is a really interesting case that's been brought because uh, I remember from earlier sessions we've discussed how it's very possible that yokonan and refused refuse to officiate as a priest because
0: yeah. of the fact that. It's, it's possible, yeah.
3: Corrupt. Yeah. So.
0: yeah. It's... Uh, um, no matter how you look at it, if, if you don't study this corner of our timeline before the Master is born and look at all of the political intrigue that goes on before he's on the scene, then you're missing uh, even, uh, Rick alluded to it earlier, with the house of uh, Hillel and Shammai. I mean, you, you can read in the Talmud. You know, they met at the guy's house. The house of Hillel showed up. <laughs> many went in. Not many came out, you know. The the Shemaites took them out. Uh, you know, if if we can't if we can't beat them, well, yeah, we'll just we'll take them out so we don't have to we don't have to work with them again. So yeah, that's right. <laughs> Anybody,
2: <laughs>
0: that's right. Take them out. Okay, look. Uh, the eyes have it. <laughs> the eyes have it. <laughs> That's right. All right. Well, thank you, folks. I hope that you'll uh, you'll look at that and uh, yeah, praise God, praise God. Let's uh, let's uh, um, let's just be students and see uh, if if these things are true. Um, all the more the the maligning the name-calling, and the uh, the terrible reputation that all of God's people, that entire generation has received, may be due in part, as we say about the leadership in professional Christendom today, leading the people astray. In fact, the same thing may have happened here, where it was just a, a few bad eggs, that were in leadership roles, that were in coercion with the government, and set them down a path that, uh, unfortunately, led to the uh, the killing of our Messiah, and fortunately, led to the killing of our Messiah. Final comments before we pray. We'll just call it an early night, guys, and um, if you have opportunity. Um, Maybe you can go ahead and see, uh, see Johnny, if he's, uh, if he's up to it.
2: Thanks for doing all the study in the Talmud, so you didn't
0: have to go on. Yeah, that's right. Just, I'm just trying to save you, buddy. You know what? <laughs> just trying to help you out here. It's amazing about how the Talmud brings light, illuminates
4: its work. Yeah. You know, it's just... back to the side Absolutely. Than, the, than, than the church has ever had that's, that's exactly what the right the church has they got from them anyway?
0: right, so, right. And, the, and the irony is that even though they have so much more evidence we are loath to look at it because we might go blind Yeah, guys in my generation, there were just things you didn't do because your mom told you you'd go blind. Um, one of them was you didn't want to own a BB gun because <laughs> you could go blind. Uh, you should shoot right, right? Yeah, I mean, there, there were. That's right. There were very there were various things that you just didn't do. Why not? Because you might go blind, uh, you know. And uh, some of it we, we just can't talk about now. But um, see me after class. <laughs> Oh my, may it be your will, Adonai our God, that a mishap not come about through us. And may we not stumble in a matter of law and cause our colleagues to rejoice over us. And may we not say regarding something which is to me that it is to and not regarding something which is to that it is to me. And may our colleagues not stumble in a matter of law and we rejoice over them. For Adonai grants wisdom from his mouth come knowledge and understanding of God. Unveil our eyes that we may perceive wonders from your Torah. Amen.